what happens when we have more than one goal? Um, because David did say one thing have a desire. What happens is, is that we get overwhelmed. So we want to make sure that as we deal with these characteristics of godly goals, and that first one being that they are focused, we want to make sure that if we have more than one, we, we keep them kind of um, centered, we keep them tight, and we keep and we develop them, okay? We really keep them centered on, um, on attainable or short-term goals or um, steps that we can take in order to achieve the goal, okay? Don't have it all over the place because you'll get overwhelmed. And then what will happen is, is that instead of making a little progress, you'll find yourself making no progress. Why? Because, you're, because you're, you're, your doors are kind of blown. You've got all these things. And now it seems like I have a big plate of things that I have to take care of or that I need to take care of and I'm feeling at this point, right? I'm feeling that um, like overwhelmed. The second um, aspect, the second aspect of godly goals is that they are sourced from God. So we need to make sure that we remember that, okay? And you have on your screen Psalms 121 and two, and you have some other ones as well, okay? Um, they, keep that in mind. God's centered goal or characteristics of godly goals, they are sourced from God. So if you're gonna try to achieve something, for the glory of God, brothers and sisters, you're not going to do that without the aid of God. So you're going to need God to help you with that. The third one um, that we have or characteristic that we covered was is that they require action or work on our part. Okay. So if you're going to, if you have a desire that you want to work towards for the glory of God, for his kingdom. Okay. And you understand that you need God's help. All right. Now that's good. But, um, but knowing that you need God's help is only part of it, okay? You also have to be willing to do your part, okay? God is going to help you do what you are supposed to do. There are aspects of goals, of godly goals, that only God can take care of, but there are aspects or parts of it that God expects you and I to, um, to, to, to be involved in. And that's something that you want to be ready. So if you're trying to achieve something spiritually for God or for God's glory, you can't approach it with a lazy attitude. You can't come at it with the mindset that says, I'm not willing to work in it. I'm not willing to do anything. No, because going after the um, godly goals, um, the action that is required is akin or is synonymous with faith. Okay. When we go after it, you know, when we go after God in faith, you know, go after God, we're putting our faith in action. When we go after that goal, brothers and sisters, we're putting our faith in action. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. We honor God and we're walking by faith when we do these things. True faith produces works. And we see that in James 2 and 26. So these are things that um, we want to make sure that we keep in mind. We looked at the fourth one and we understood that they are God-centered. So this is that part that I was talking about a little bit earlier, where we said that there are um, as there are aspects of um, there are aspects of God centered of godly goals, okay, that are God-centered. So these are those aspects or goals that they do have 
some benefit to you in addition to a benefit to God. So God it benefits primarily, right? But God, those goals can actually have benefits to you. They can bless you. They can be a benefit in your family. They can be a blessing to you on your job. Um, they can be a blessing to you in your um, relationship and in your interactions with, with people or with the community and all of those sorts of things, okay? So there can be benefits to that. God-centered goals are designed to bring you closer to God. Why? Because in order to do that, one thing that we learned about it is, is that it requires that you abide in Jesus or that you dwell in the Lord. Amen. Remember the word phrasing in our scripture says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. And we learn that we abide in Christ. How do we do it? By way of obedience to God's word. You cannot have a scenario, brothers and sisters, where you call yourself obedient to God's word or dwelling rather in God's word and in his presence. All the while, you and I are maintaining a posture of disobedience. That's not going to work. God will never accept that. That is not ever on, on your best day. That's never going to be accepted as obedience. Obedience is obedience, which simply means it is, it is doing what the word of God says. So you, there's no way of getting around that. The other thing that we um, learned about these characteristics, the fifth one, is that they require commitment. Okay, David said, gave this phrase, said all the days of my life. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? All the days of my life. David was committed. <laughs> David was committed. All the days, he wasn't looking for something that he could just start and then stop. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to God-centered goals or godly goals, right? When it comes to that, you got to be have a mindset that you're in it for the long haul, that you're in it to get all the way down to the finish line. You need a spirit of perseverance, okay? Because sometimes goals that we work towards, especially these godly goals, there's a process to them. And with that process, comes the requirement or the need for what? Patience. And patience is often a difficult thing for us to deal with because we live in a, in a society that well, everybody wants everything quick and fast and in a hurry and they want it yesterday, okay? We live in this, some people have called it a microwave age, you know, that age of kind of right now, just, you know, faster than light and that sort of thing. But the Bible is very plain. For those of you who know the scripture, the God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts. No, they're not even close to our thoughts. It's different. It's totally different. God's movement, his method is different than ours. What does, what's the significance of that? It means brothers and sisters that God doesn't move or nor does he have to move to the beat of our drum. God doesn't have to move. God, God doesn't match his steps to the tempo, so to speak, of you and of, of, of me and your life. It doesn't work that way. You know, a lot of people, we, you know, we take an attitude almost like, um, like, uh, like dancing. You have two people who are, who are um, or dancing together, perhaps a waltz. Well, when you're doing a waltz type of dance, only one, you know, one person has to lead, you know, you can't have both of them leading or the, or that particular uh, uh, elegant dance will, will, will be all messed up. Right. Well, it's the same thing with life. So to speak, many times, 
we want God, right, to, to be a part of and to intervene and to help and to do this, that, and the other, but we want him to match our tempo. In other words, we want him to move according to our dance steps, so to speak. We want to lead and we want him to follow. But brothers and sisters, it does not work that way in the kingdom, okay? There's only one, you know, there can't be two leaders. There's only one, and that's God Almighty, okay? In this dance, so to speak, of life, in this waltz of life, if we're going to do this with God, you got to understand, you got to let God lead. You got to let God orchestrate the steps. He's got to orchestrate them. And you and I, our goal is to follow them. So make sure you know they got to be committed and be willing to, to, to stick in with it. Okay. Even if it doesn't look exactly the way you want it to look at first, or it doesn't seem like it's going to work out. It doesn't matter what the outside looks like in those things or in those circumstances. God is greater than the aesthetics of a thing, than the look of a thing. God is able to bring a thing to pass. And that's good for you to know. It's good for me to know. It's good for all children of God to know. Why? Because it gives us encouragement. It gives us encouragement that even if it starts to look a little squirrely and looking like, oh man, this might not work. Hey, if you've gotten your direction from the Lord and you've got God's word on it, don't matter what it looks like, it's going to work. Why? Because God's involved. Amen. Amen. And finally, we learned that godly goals and God-centered goals demand holiness. God wants us to be holy. And you see that in uh, Leviticus chapter uh, 20, verse number seven. And that's really good. And I love that. The Bible says, sanctify yourselves therefore and be holy. Why? For I am the Lord your God. Notice there's another scripture that gets in that tells us to be holy because he is holy. And we and we we have those scriptures. But I love that one um, in Leviticus chapter 20 and seven, because notice what he says here. He says, sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy. So we have the request, okay? We have the commandment to be holy. And he says, for I am the Lord your God. Now in this particular verse, he doesn't say because I, the Lord your God am holy. There's another verse or other verses that display that. But in this one, he does not say that. And that's, and that is, and, and that I found that to be extremely, extremely um, wonderful to pay attention to. Why? Because he literally is telling you, he reveals something else about holiness or the requirement of holiness, okay? When he says sanctify yourselves, which means to separate yourself, okay? Separate from something and be dedicated to something. When he says separate yourself, okay? And be ye holy for I am the Lord your God. He literally tells you and reveals to you that the stipulation or the requirement of holiness goes beyond the fact that God is holy. You're not required to be holy just because God is holy. But you are literally, I am literally required to be holy because God said so. Simply because, so you, in other words, God, don't, God doesn't have to always give you a reason behind what he tells you to do. We get caught up thinking that we need a reason all the time. And so what, we, what do we do? We twiddle our thumbs and we don't make no progress and we don't do anything. Why? Because we're waiting on an explanation. God ain't gonna always give you an explanation. Some stuff is gonna be, cause, be simply because God said so. There are some things when God tell you don't do this, that, and the other, don't be that person. 
Don't be that man. Don't be that woman. Don't be that boy. Don't be that girl. That 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 you, you that you gonna press pause on what God told you to do, or is plainly telling you to do what the scripture is plainly telling you to do. Why? Because you waiting on a reason. Hold on. You at some point, brothers and sisters, you have got to trust that God knows more than you. That God knows better than you. That God sees what you don't see. God knows what you don't know. And even though he has not decided to give you an explanation for the thing that you are going through in your life or the thing that you are dealing with, irregardless of that, you have got to come to the place where you learn to trust God's plan, where you learn to trust that God has your best interest at heart. Don't be that person that always need some kind of explanation because here you got to understand something. You don't run God. I don't run God. He does not march to my beat. He doesn't have to show up when I tell him to. God is sovereign. That means that God does what he wants to do because he wants to do it when he wants to do it. And he don't have to tell nobody and he don't have to ask nobody. God don't have no counselors. God don't have no confidants. God don't have any of that. He is God all by himself and when he makes a decision decision brothers and sisters it is it is a it is absolute and it is a it is a decision that is of his own will and he does not have to explain anything that is part that is his divine prerogative and many times we suffer and we struggle with that because we want a reason for everything. And we dismiss the concept of divine prerogative. Divine prerogative means that it is God's choice solely and alone as to whether or not he's going to disclose or break down all of the things or the reason behind. Sometimes, brothers, you're going to listen. God is not going to explain it. Why? Because this is a walk that is done by faith. If God told you everything, what need of faith? What would there, what need would you have of faith? Think about it. You need faith when you don't know, because you don't know, because I don't see. So these are things that we need to know. God wants holiness, and holiness is required, yes, because he is holy, but also it is required simply because he said so. He it's required because he wants it. Now, in addition to the six characteristics of godly goals, um, and this and it's really of um, equal importance, it's not lesser in any way, by any means, um, is the issue or the matter of purpose, okay? We had a couple of questions that we, um, that I, that we brought up the very last time, um, because this, this, because this, these questions really do come into play. The first one is, is um, what is the purpose behind the goal? These are things that we need to understand because along with these characteristics, now we start to move into the territory of motive. And motive has a lot to do with this, okay? What is the purpose behind the goal, okay? What is the driving factor that propels us forward toward that goal, okay? What, is, what, is, what are those things? And, and, and why am I pursuing these things? Now, these can be considered in some ways um, all the same type of question because they all will lead you to the same sort of answer, okay? So you can, you can probably answer all of them by just simply answering one of them. But regardless of whether you answer one of them and find that sufficient or you answer all of them, it is 
um, they all bring out the fact that there is something a little bit more that we need to pay attention to, or there's a little bit more to this concept of godly goals that we really do need to be aware of. Okay. We need to, we need to know that. Why? Because that, that motive is, is a deciding factor as to whether or not God's going to be checked in or whether God's going to be checked out. And when it comes to godly goals and God-centered goals, remember, we said earlier, they're sourced from God. And that means that you need God in order to achieve whatever that is. Well, you, if, if, if you are conducting a thing that requires the help of God, you have to be aware of what those things are that can cause God to check out. Because if you need God to help you with something, I can tell you right now, the very last thing that you want, the very last scenario you want to have occur is a scenario where God is checked out. You don't want God to be checked out when you really need him most. So it's, it behooves us to be fully aware of what God's requirements are in us getting help from him, especially for the goals that we are, that we are looking to achieve for his glory and for his, uh, and for his kingdom. Let's look at the B portion of Psalms 27 and four. It says to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Okay. We're getting into the why of David. We're getting into that motive of David. Okay. Now we're diving towards all of, all of those things. Okay. And this is very important. Okay. To behold simply means to see or to look, but, but, but to perceive with attention and it means to direct one's gaze toward. Okay. That's what it means to, uh, to behold. Okay. And that's a good thing. Now with that couple things that we want to keep in mind, all right. The usage of the phrase, even though it means to behold, it actually carries a stronger meaning than just simply looking at something. Okay. So we're going beyond just the act of simply looking at it. Okay. We, it, the, that B portion, David says to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He was not just saying, I want to look at it. Okay. But it conveys that concept or the idea of really deep diving into something, examining it, okay? So when David said, I want to behold it, David was really, really going a bit further. David was saying more than I just want a casual glance. I just want a casual look, this, that, and the other. No, 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 no. He was going more than that. He was literally telling us that I want to examine it. I want to get into this thing. I want to know it. I, it absolutely everything. It, it was, it's deeper than that. He does not want to just look at it. He wants to understand it. He wants to take it all in. Amen. Philippians 3, uh, 11 uh, through 12 says this, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, um, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Look at what Paul is saying here. Paul, Paul says, it's not that I, already, that I already got this. 
It's not that I'm the best at anything. It's not that I'm the greatest at anything. I'm, no, no, no. I'm, I'm not doing all of this and all of this work and all of the, the labor that I'm doing for the Lord and so on and so forth. He, Paul is saying, I'm not doing all of that because just because I want to do it. And I'm not doing it just because I want to be seen or because I think I'm great and all of these things. But what he's saying is, is that what I'm trying, what I'm really after here, amen, what I'm really after is, is that I'm, when he talks about apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. He says, I'm trying to get a hold of he who already has a hold of me. So Paul was really telling you and really telling us that, that my goal, my, my reason for what I'm doing, the whole, the whole thing that propels me, and this is very akin to what David is talking about when we get into Psalms 27, verse 4, in that B portion that says, behold, to behold the beauty of the Lord, because I said what Paul is talking, because what David is saying, David is now giving his, re his reason for why he's doing, or his motivation. Well, in Philippians 3, 4, uh, 3, verses 11 through 12, Paul, the apostle, is giving us the, a reason, the motivation behind why he does what he does, why he's doing what he's doing, why he's serving God with everything that he's had, has, why he's going as far as he goes. Why? Because he says, I'm trying to apprehend. I'm trying to apprehend that for which I'm also apprehended of Christ. I'm trying to get a hold of the one who already has a hold of me. And that's important. Why? Because when you go back to 20, Psalm 27 and 4, he used that word behold. And I said that word behold is stronger than just looking. It means I want to really get in and understand it, which is akin to what Paul was talking about in Philippians 3, 11 through 12, when he was discussing or talking about how he wanted to apprehend that which he was has already apprehended him. In other words, I want to get a hold of God. God already has a hold of me. He, he's got me through and through, but my understanding is limited. My, my ability is limited, and, and God is able to take all in, all that is me in. He's got it all, but, but, but God is so, 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 so wide, I can't get around him. He's so high, I can't get over him. He's so low, I cannot get under. He's so thick, I can't get through him. I just want to, so I want to what? Be in him. I just want to get a hold. And so my pursuit is to get a hold of God, the one who has a hold of me. Now, when we move further into this, David says to behold the beauty. Now let's talk about beauty. Okay. According to scripture. Okay. We have a couple things that we want to bring out about, um, about beauty as it concerns the uh, uh, as it concerns the way it is um, referenced and used in the scripture, so we're going to learn a few things about um, about beauty. Okay, so let's look at first kind of the world um, the world perspective um, of beauty. Okay, because the world does have its own um, perspective on when it comes to the concept of beauty, and a lot of people we don't always know what that is but the world perspective is the world sees it as the quality or aggregate of qualities in a person or a thing that gives pleasure to the senses or um to pleasurably exalts the mind or the spirit okay so when we say the quality or aggregate what we're talking about is the collection of qualities those things that whatever it is that's desirable okay when we start talking about beauty from the world perspective, okay? It is the collection really of whatever qualities 
you know, that just tickle somebody's fancy. So in other words, that those things that are, that are desirable or pleasant or attractive or whatever you want to call it, whatever those things are to that person, okay, or to that individual or whatever that thing is um, or whatever it is that they are focused on, those, those, all of those things that as they come together, okay, that constitutes that person's idea or view of beauty. So it's what they like. It's the things that they that that look good to them. That 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 seem good to them. And for them, for that person, it um, that constitutes um, that constitutes beauty. And that's something that we uh, want to um, to make sure that we understand. Okay. Now, when we take it a step further and look more at the biblical perspective or concept rather, okay? So beforehand, I know it said biblical um, perspective, but it's really a concept is really what it is. Um, the biblical or concept um, or perspective of beauty um, is very similar. The qualities that give um, pleasure, okay, to the senses. It's the harmonious combination of qualities um, pleasant to see, okay? It's a, a physical or spiritual, it can be physical or spiritual quality that brings pleasure to those who behold it, okay? And that's really, and that's kind of from the biblical, um, the biblical perspective. And the interesting thing is, is that as you can see, the, the biblical concept and the world concept, there are some similarities, okay, as to the, the concept of beauty, okay? But um, um, you know, but with those similarities, and although there are those similarities, when we actually move further into the concept of beauty, okay, the perspective, even though the concepts are similar, okay, though those concepts are similar, the perspectives or the positions taken on beauty the position or the perspective of the world versus the position and the perspective of the church or the, or, uh, or the spiritual world. Okay. The perspective that each one takes is different when it comes to beauty. So the concept has some similarities, but the perspective or the view or the way view beauty is viewed versus the way the world views it versus the way the uh, God views it. Okay. Or the church is supposed to, is supposed to view it. Okay. Or in the spiritual, we're supposed to view it. Those perspectives are different and we need to make sure that, and that, that we understand that. Why? Because there's a whole lot of people get messed up. Why? Because they think that they assume that what goes on in the world flies in the church and it don't work that way. What goes on in the world, what works in the, in the world does not work in the church. Okay. You cannot bring worldliness, worldly concept, worldly ideas into the church thinking that you're going to have spiritual results. Listen, you will have anti-spiritual results. Worldliness brought into the church produces anti-spiritual results. It does not produce spiritual results. It produces anti-spiritual results. Why? God doesn't bless mess. We've said it before. I'm saying it again. You cannot bring worldliness, what you do, the way you behave, how you carry yourself in the world, you, uh, you can't bring that to the house of God. You cannot bring that to, you can't bring that into the kingdom. That's not, that's not gonna work. That's off limits. That's, that's, that's getting checked at the door. God is not going, to, God is not having any of that. And if you want God's blessing to be upon you, 
you, you know, the, the best move is to not even try to bring any of that stuff because God's never going to bless it. Okay. You cannot bring worldliness. Churches have to be, uh, be careful. And remember churches is not, they're not, it's not the building. It's the believers. The church is the born again, water baptized believers in Christ Jesus who have been filled with the Holy Ghost. That is what the church is. Okay. It is not a physical building, but it is the people of God that make up the temple of God. Okay. And God inhabits and dwells in that temple. Okay. And because of that, be, uh, because, because of that, you cannot just bring any and everything. I cannot just bring any and everything. And churches get into trouble. We, the church, get into trouble when we start trying to bring and introduce worldliness into our worship. Okay. No, listen, God don't want your songs to sound like the songs of the world. <laughs> Newsflash. I know a lot of people think that that's okay. That ain't okay. That was never okay. That was never okay. God don't want you to bring the same things that you do. Uh-uh. You can't take the dancing from the world and bring that into the church. That don't work. Okay. You can't take the carrying on the, 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 you no, you can't, you can't come in there and do all that kind of stuff and so on and so forth and bring in raffle and bingo and all this other kind of stuff into, into the church. You, you know, the church can't have no bingo night. Church can't have all this, all these types of things that we got going on. You, you can't, church you ain't supposed to be selling no raffle tickets and doing all that other kind of stuff and so on and so forth. No. Did not Jesus run out the money changers of the, the temple when they came in there and they, was, and they was up in there trying to <laughs> sell sacrifices and, and so on and so forth for people just, just nah, no. The house of God is not a liquor store. Okay, it's not, it's not Walmart. It's not, it's, it's, it's not whatever store you go to. The house of God cannot be treated with, with, with indignity and disrespect. We can't come into the, to the house of God dressed any kind of way looking any kind of way as if holiness was never a standard. Listen, holiness is not, listen, holiness is not the exception. It is the rule, brothers and sisters. We can't come to God's house doing what we want to do. No, we got to come to the house doing what God wants us to do. Okay. Amen. Amen. Now, <laughs> scripture, it's important to understand when we start talking about beauty, because people get caught up in beauty and they get messed up in when it comes to beauty. So we're going to just pull some of this stuff out and make some of the things um, very plain. Now, scripture acknowledges beauty, okay? And you can see that, and you can see that very plainly uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter uh, 3, uh, verse 11, okay? Scripture does acknowledge beauty, okay? Now, the world, however, because there is a difference with the way the world deals with beauty and the way the church or God's kingdom deals with beauty, we must understand that the world tends to focus more on the external, okay? Or the object of beauty, okay? They, they, that's the way the world does. They, they tend to focus on the external or the object of beauty. And they often do it to the point of idolizing and worshiping the object or that concept itself. Some people literally, and, and cultures, especially um, the uh, old um, uh, um, Hellenistic cultures and Roman cultures and all these different things where they just worship the idea of beauty. It took, it, I mean, it went beyond just worshiping, you know, statues and goddesses and stuff like that. But the very concept of beauty itself became a thing or was elevated to a point of where, of where people worshiped that. 
Okay. In other words, it became beauty was became the, the driving factor for a lot of people. It was the motivating factor for a lot of people in ancient cultures. And newsflash, it's the motivating factor even today, even in our culture for a lot of things. So the world tends to focus more on the external or the object of beauty. And oftentimes they do this to the point of idolizing, turning it into an idol, or even worshiping it. Okay either um, whatever it is, or it can, it can be a thing, or it can be the very concept of beauty itself. Either one of those things, many of people have found themselves walking in error because they began to worship that concept or a thing that they viewed as beautiful. Now, the scripture, on the other hand, tends to focus on and stresses the beauty of God. Okay, it does talk about beauty and it acknowledges all types of, of beauty or many different types of beauty, I should say, but it tends to focus on the beauty of God himself and his creation. Okay, and for the and the reason why it does that when it brings up his creation, because it focuses on the beauty of God, but scripture also focuses on and highlights the beauty of creation. But when it does that, it does that never for the sake of you just magnifying the creation in and of itself, but it does it for the purpose of praise and worship. So in other words, okay, the Bible teaches us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the, the you know what I'm saying, and the, uh, and, and the firmament shows forth his, his handiwork, okay? Creation, you understand something. Creation has been assigned the task of declaring that God exists. When you read the scripture, if you've never noticed this, you will know the Bible never, never at all, does it take a, does it attempt to prove to you that God is real? No, it does not. The Bible is written from the, from the perspective that those who read it, you're supposed to know God is real. You're supposed to, it, it, the Bible assumes that you know that there is a creator. It doesn't waste time trying to convince you that there is a creator, okay? God ain't got time. God don't waste time on, on, on atheism, okay? God assumes that you're supposed to know better. You're not supposed to go around talking about there ain't no God and all this other, uh-uh, no, no, no. You, why? Because God has, the, God has a given the assignment of declaring the existence of God to creation. You're supposed to look at the sun, the stars, the trees, the rocks, the dirt, and the water, and you're supposed to know that, oh, guess what? Wow, I couldn't create it, but it's clearly here. God must have created it. <laughs> Nature has been assigned the task of declaring the existence of God, okay? Amen. And because of that, then that means that with the assignment given to nature to declare the glory of God, to declare the existence of God, to declare the reality of God, then the purpose of the declaration is so that those who are receiving or are the recipients of the declaration will see what is being declared and then turn and glorify God for what he's done. Amen. Amen. He doesn't give you majestic looking mountains and 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 tranquil looking screen streams and 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 
and vast oceans to look at all for you to start worshiping a fish. No, I got that. No, God didn't give you all. God, God, God didn't give you these majestic mountains. So for all of us to decide that we're going to start worshiping billy goats all on the side of the mountain. No, 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 no. God gave you these things so that we would glorify God for his majesty. Okay. Amen. So while at the same time, so scripture focuses on the beauty of God, right? The beauty of himself and his creation. And it's for the purpose of worship while at the same time and making note, it's there to, it's as a warning to us that too much focus on the beauty of the creation can lead you actually away from God or cause you to become, to slip into idolatry. Okay, that's why God, when the Bible uses it, it mainly focuses on it from the perspective of God, or when it gives you create talks about creation, it's for the perspective, it's for the it's for the purpose of giving you reasons to glorify God. It's never for you and I to get pigeonholed and to get stuck on just oh I can't believe how wonderful this is. Oh, I can't believe how majestic, how grand, how splendorous this looks and so on and so forth. Nothing wrong with taking in the beauty but what, but of, of creation. But that beauty of creation is designed to lead you to God Almighty, to lead you. Or in other words, it's there to direct your praise, help you get to the place where you say, you know what? God, thank you. God, I, God, I thank you for, for your majesty. The way you paint the sky in the mornings and in the evenings, Lord, nobody can do that but you. God, the way you dress the flowers of the field. God, the way, God, you clothe the animals, the way you provide for nature. God, the way you've done this, God, who is like you? Who is better than you? Who else can do what you can do? God, when I think about how the suns, how the sun shines and how the moon glows, God, who? But you alone can do such a thing. That's what God uses it for. Now, let's move into you know, a couple of other things that we want to learn about, um, about God or about beauty, because there are some things that we do actually need to know, okay? Things to know and understand about the biblical concept of beauty. Uh, first and foremost is that what? There are actually different types of beauty, okay? There's different types of beauty acknowledged and or dealt with in scripture, all right? So, and that's, and that's good to know. We need to know that. We need to know that those things are there, that the scripture um, deals with many different types of beauty. Why? Because having an understanding of this, brothers and sisters, a proper understanding of beauty as it pertains to the Bible will help you and I sidestep some unnecessary pitfalls that people have found themselves running into simply because they don't have a good understanding or concept of beauty and the purpose of it or the way God deals with it or addresses it, okay? Scripture, the first thing that I want you to understand is, is that scripture does not condemn beauty, okay? Just for the sake of doing so. So everybody who is, you know, who, who, who wants to, first thing they want to talk about, you know, and usually you get this from people who are hyper spiritual. Okay. They just over the top. They're so, they so heavenly minded. They ain't no earthly good. Normally those type of individuals go way too far. They just go from a zero to a hundred in the wrong direction. 
okay? And they act as though anything that is beautiful is evil and is wrong. So if you run into somebody like that, just step away. Just ignore them, step away, pray for them. <clears throat> don't be mean, don't re retaliate and go and, and, and you start acting ugly because God will have to deal with you. But that person clearly does not understand something. Scripture does not condemn beauty just for the sake of doing so. So if anybody starts to teach a doctrine of that or a teaching or begins to make it seem like beauty or something is, is wrong or is evil, no, you just, just sidestep that, okay? Amen. Scripture, the other thing I want you to understand is that scripture does not teach that beauty or the acknowledging of that which is beautiful, okay? In and of itself, the Bible doesn't teach that as evil or inherently wrong. So what does that mean? That means just because you think something is beautiful, that is not, that, that the thought that something is beautiful, Someone is, is beautiful. For a man, that might be a woman is beautiful. For a woman, that might be a man is handsome, okay? Or it might be some rocks, some trees, some dirt. Could be whatever it is. Doesn't matter what it is. Could be nature. Could be all sorts of different things. The thought that something is beautiful is not evil, okay? No, not at all. Okay, so again, if you run into somebody who starts to get all off sideways and start teaching all this kind of stuff or making it seem like, you know, just because you, you know, you know, you, you know, you, you consider something beautiful or whatever else it is. No, 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 no. That thought in and of, its, of itself is not evil or inherently wrong. Okay, God gives you the ability to be able to distinguish or to tell or to, you know, or to decide what you, what, what, what is beautiful to you. Okay, now. Now, now that with that comes some responsibility because everything that's beautiful to you ain't beautiful to God. So when we go and we and we'll get in all that because we want to make sure we get our, our concept of beauty tightened up. But right now we're just talking about on the basics level, basic, basic level. OK, beauty in and of itself is not wrong. And the thought that something or someone is beautiful. OK is not wrong. So don't, so, so, so if you're self-condemning yourself and so on and so forth, because you saw somebody and you said, man, that person was really pretty. Uh-uh, that don't, that, uh, no, 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 no. Don't be, don't, do not be ridiculous. Okay. Let me make that plain. Husbands, you're going to see a variety of people and there are other people who are beautiful besides your wife. You will have thoughts that will say that person is beautiful. And as long as you leave it there, you fine. That's fine. You will be able to see that and vice versa. Wives, there are other people who are handsome besides your husband. God has given you the ability to determine or to distinguish when something looks nice. And as long as your thoughts stay right there, you're fine. Okay. That, that's nothing wrong with that, okay? So when we start going the extra step and we start dwelling on that and focusing on that and then we start getting all off into lust and so on and so forth, okay? That is where we start getting sidetracked and that is where beauty, okay, begins to get out, you know, it's taken out of context and then we start being led astray, all right? Now, the other thing is, is that scripture does not teach that beauty in and of itself is something to be shunned ashamed of, or coveted, amen, or even flaunted, amen. Scripture does not teach that beauty in and of itself is something to be shunned or ashamed of. Okay, I'm going to deal with that part first, and then I'm going to deal with the coveted and the flaunted second, okay? It does not teach that it's something to be shunned or ashamed of. Okay, listen, when you are born, God has blessed you to be who you are. 
You have all the features that you have. You are, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you just the way that he wants you to be, okay? And when God made everything, if we take our page from Genesis, going back to Genesis chapter one, all right? Everything that God made, he said, what? It's good. He said, it's good. A lot of people don't understand this or often don't realize this. Amen. But when God created everything and called it good, especially in Genesis 1.31, we take a look at that. Um, um, the definition of the word good or one of the definitions for the word good is beauty. Amen. And a lot of people don't know that. Okay. So God wasn't just saying it was good. God was saying it was beautiful as well. God was saying it was desirable. That's what God was saying. And it's not just for the human, but also for all of his creation. All right. Beauty is not something to be shunned or ashamed of. Okay. Be content with what God has given you and what he has blessed you with. Don't get, don't, don't listen. Don't be ashamed of it, of what you have. Don't criticize yourself. Okay. Because when you start criticizing yourself, you're really criticizing God. Why? Because he made you. So when you start taking aspects of yourself and you start, and, and you know what I'm saying, and you, and, and you just start, start bashing yourself, okay? You, start, you just start self-condemning yourself because features, maybe you don't have this like someone else, or maybe you don't have this, that. Number one, stop comparing yourself, okay? God, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are an individual that God created all by himself, okay? And, and, and God says that is good, okay? God says that it is good. And many people find themselves walking unnecessarily in the pathways of depression and all of these and, dis, and, and discontent. Why? Number one, because they're comparing themselves to everybody else. And number two, because they're not satisfied or they are ashamed of what they have. It don't look right. It's not this. It's not that. Uh -uh. Listen, learn to tell God thank you for what, he had, for what he has given you. Amen. Amen. God gave that to you. And you don't have the right, just because it's you, to go around hating on the features and the things that God has given you. Don't be ashamed of that. Glorify God. Tell God thank you. Because whatever it is that you're mad about, or you have a problem with, it could just have been very well that God could have saw fit that you were born without it, okay? So, so brothers and sisters, don't, don't, don't waste time being discontent on what God has blessed you with. Now, that's in the realm of what belongs to you in the natural physically, okay? Or so your, your body, but that also can be, but that also can be within the realm of the things that you actually have that are external to you. Also, beauty is not, the Bible doesn't teach that beauty is something to be coveted or flaunted. So number one, you don't want to be ashamed of what God has given you. But then number two, God does not want you and I to covet what somebody else has. Brothers and sisters, we got to stop measuring ourselves by other people and measure ourselves by the standard of holiness or the standard of God's word. Okay, one in the same. That's one in the same. God made you to his specification 
and to his liking. Now, I want you to understand something. God didn't make you according to your specification and according to your liking. He made you according to his specification and according to his liking. God doesn't care that you don't like something about it. God likes it. Why? Because he gave it to you. And God does not want you to be discontent. That is why <laughs> covetousness is one of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> that God, you know what I'm saying? Thou shalt not covet. Why? Because when we covet, when we become discontent, we are in essence speaking out against God. We are disrespecting God. When we say, I don't want what I have, I'm not content with what I have, I want what somebody else has. I want that. You are disrespecting the Creator. Because when you covet beyond what you have, when you covet those things that God did not see fit to give to you, what you are in essence saying is, God, what you gave me is not enough. And that is why God has a problem with it. That is why it was listed as a one of the commandments. Why? Because God wants you to be content with what he gave you, with who you are, with how he made you. He don't want you wanting what everybody else has. No. Learn to operate within what God gave you. And you can do that safely and securely if you do it using the word of God as your guideline. Don't come up with your own stuff. Do it the way God wants you to do. Scripture does not condemn beauty for the sake of doing so, just to condemn it. Scripture does not teach that beauty or the acknowledging of that, of, of that which is beautiful, beautiful in and of itself is inherently wrong. Just don't start getting, don't let it turn into to the, to go to the point of lust and all that kind of stuff. And you're fine with all of that. And scripture does not teach that beauty in and of itself is something to be shunned or ashamed. Don't start thinking that you're lesser than anybody or anything because what you have is different. But at the same time, it is also not something to be coveted because you're uncontent nor flaunted, meaning that you use what God has given you to put somebody else down or to act as though you are somehow God's gift to creation. No, you're not. Bible says all flesh is as grass, all of it. So, all, so don't, there's no need in us getting too all off, you know, in the wrong direction. Because God is not concerned with all of that. Now, we are going to go further into this next week. Amen. We got into that and touched on that. And uh, we're going to deep dive into the aspects of beauty. Um, according to the Bible, going to develop a, God's going to help us develop a proper understanding of that. And then we'll walk away from that. I'm just convinced that on that subject, not only we want to understand what David was talking about when he was saying to behold the beauty of the Lord, but we'll also have a proper understanding of beauty that we can share and will also help, which will help us um, realign our self-image and, and our image of other things, our view of other things so that we're walking according to what the Bible says.